You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since everybody welcome to the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema we are back and it's will and sammy back together again how's it going will well it's going marvelous because i'm back with you dude that's good to hear <laughs> it's good to hear it'd be awkward if it wasn't the case and that then... is true <laughs> it's fucking horrible yeah <laughs> be, it's on the gosh for the grudge this is terrible but we are here and and we're here to talk about movies so we were going to do um and we may have announced it on one of the shows so i want to make sure we address it we'll probably get back to it the the fourth man right yeah we were going to do that but will when he was out of town he reached out to me and uh harry belafonte passed away and uh we like harry we like him quite a bit he's been on the show before i know todd and i did an old film that he was in and and uh, we'll just decide to switch it up, a little switcheroo, a little, little uh, Texas switch, whatever you want to call it. Um, and we're going to be doing Buck and the Preacher, which is uh, from 72, I believe, and directed by Sidney Poitier. Originally directed by uh, Joseph Sargent, but I think Poitier took over. Yeah, I didn't like the direction the film was going, and he was asked to take over, so yeah, that did. And he was a producer on the film, too, him and Belafonte were, so... I'm guessing that the you know just things didn't work out, and, and Joseph Sargent, who we've had on the show before too, he did White Lightning, right? The Return of uh, Shaky Pudding. There, that's right. The uh, <laughs> everlasting Shaky Pudding. He did Taking Taking of Pelham One Two Three, um, Nightmares. He was an accomplished director in his own right. Yep, yep. So that's what we'll be talking about today. Buck and the Preacher. I think Criterion put it out. Yeah, as, they did as well. So. And uh, we'll discuss that here in a little bit. Um, I don't know that we have any feedback or not. I'm getting ready to look and see if we had any. I think Walt sent something in. And uh, shame on me. I'm not ready. Because why would I be? Um, Let's see here. Uh, I'm working on it here. Behind the scenes. 
You know how it is. This is this is an exciting podcasting. I know, I know. That little hum you did, <laughs> so you were starting to do. Jesus Christ, superstar. Yeah, why not? Could be uh, could be anything at this time of the morning. Oh yes. <laughs> um, I just want to make sure I get uh, Walt's uh, email, a voicemail, in if he yeah, because I'm pretty sure he sent one. So I want to make sure I get it. And uh, make sure that he knows that we are still out there. All right. So here, it's logging in. I know it's exciting, guys. I, uh, just, I know everybody loves it. I mean, how many podcasts can you go to where you hear live logins? I mean, it's just it's just not that common, right? No. <laughs> there's, sure a re- there's a reason for that. <laughs> All right, let me see here. All right, let's see if we can. I'm gonna download this here. Here we go. And this is even more exciting, I know, because you guys can hear the downloading. I'm sure. No. <laughs> yeah. Hey, did we mention? I don't know if we had mentioned this when uh, just doing a little bit of amping here, but it's also practical. Did we mention that this is episode 632? We did not. We just did. We just did. We just sure mentioned did. it just now. All right, here, here we go with Walt. I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll be able to hear this. We're going to find out. Let me know. I should play any second. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for continuing. Can you hear it? Okay, good. Such a great podcast. Uh, your obituary this week is for the one, the only Giovanni Lombardo Radice. Was a big part of my childhood. I forgot he had passed away. Watching uh, what we called then Gates of Hell. Uh, uh, so recently I was watching um, a movie called uh, Visiting Hours with Michael Ironside and William Shatner. Oh, yes. And uh, it occurred to me that uh, it's a very unusual movie in some ways because your final girl, if you will, Lee Grant, is, uh, you know, uh, middle-aged, I would say. And uh, that's certainly incredibly unusual for a slasher movie. And it got me on the topic more generally of, you know, middle-aged protagonists in horror movies. Um, The classic example of this, I think, would have to be uh, Rituals. Uh, I think it's also called Creepers, um, where you've got four or five uh, older gentlemen in that movie. And when you watch that, you just go, whoa, this is weird (laughs) to have... Such uh, such older Hurry. in a horror movie. Hurry. Uh, so that's my uh, question for you. Middle-aged uh, protagonists in horror movies, what do you think? Any better examples? Thanks, guys. Oh, man. Have a great week. Sometimes I, wonder, I, I think to myself, I should listen to these things before we do it because and now he's got me on the spot here. And, and Rituals is a good one because that's probably where I would have went first. But, I mean, I, there's got to be another one, right? Uh, I would... I would think there is. Um, <laughs> middle age, that's tough, man. Uh, because, I mean, it's easy to think of a lot that, that aren't featuring teenagers. Mm-hmm. Like, like Raised Baby, Psycho, Sons of the Lambs. Um, yeah, that is a hard one, man. That's, uh, that is a hard one. Yeah, I mean, Rituals is a good, uh, that's a good example. Changeling. What about the Changeling? Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, there's there's films that deal with this stuff, right? I guess it depends what how far you want to stretch the, the middle age thing. I guess it does, and I guess it depends on, you know, what kind of horror film it is in some ways, too, because um, I don't know that, um, you know, slashers, it, it's a totally different world. Um, and then I, I guess... I guess the visiting hours is kind of a slasher, right? Is it? No, it's not really a slasher, is it? Which one? Visiting hours. I'd say it is, man. It's funny he mentions that one because I've, I have had that on the like to cover list forever and ever and ever. Mm. So I would say it is ish. Like it, yeah, and it's a great Ironside performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Changeling is a good one. I that, I think it's a good example. I guess you could say Exorcist Three the same way, because well, I'm thinking of George C. Scott. Yeah, stuff like you know, I don't know. There's a you know, it's kind of an obvious one, but does Bubba Hotep count? I guess. I guess Bubba Hotep definitely counts, and and partially Return of the Living Dead. <laughs> yeah, well, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. That does, well, no, I'd say, but I think I'd say Return of the Living Dead does count. You have older, but you have younger, but you also have significantly older. Mm-hmm. That's one of the few where they meld the two. Ghost story, maybe? I'm thinking. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's some. I mean, it takes. it's not something I could think of easily, but there's some for sure. Definitely some. Tough question, and it's though. it's nice to see, frankly. Yeah. It's a tough question, though. Man, it's too early for that stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and again... We should probably listen to these voicemails before we uh, dive right in. <laughs> we sound like, you know, if we listened and we prepped, we would know what we're talking about. <laughs> it's okay. I hadn't even logged That's in my email. Sound, you know what we talk, we're talking about? Mm. Madness. Yeah. Yeah. There was a time when it probably did sound like we were talking, knew what we were talking about more than we do nowadays, but we, we, we know, we know a thing or two, so we're okay. All right, so thank you, Walt, for that. Um, as always, um, let's get into what we've been watching. What you been up to? So I've uh, I wouldn't say I've been prolific, but I've caught up with some stuff, and some stuff I'm very excited to talk about. Let me just see. I drop my pen on the floor, and it clatters across the floor. <laughs> um. Trying to look and see where I left off here. Whoops. Okay. So I spoke about Donnie Darko on the air, right? Did I? Uh, I don't think so. So I rewatched Donnie Darko. I wanted to drop it on the kids. Um, they've their uh, their tastes have really been evolving. Uh, it's been interesting to see the stuff they're they're kind of fascinated by. They're they're really getting into favorite actors and things. And I think I've said before, our youngest, um, uh, he's fond of Brad Pitt and a few other actors really likes. And William likes Willem Dafoe and and Christian Bale. And you know they they definitely have their go to guys. But um, threw on Donnie Darko. And I hadn't seen it in a number of years. And uh, I'm. I'm happy to say it, it's held up quite well. I think it's aged wonderfully. Yeah. I think that that, that one, uh, it really has held up. Oh, it has. It's wonderful. And there's a really great movie podcast, MUBI, of course, um, talking about the 
the serendipity around getting the musical rights to some of this, to the film music for the films, for the film. But yeah, just it held up great. The kids loved it. There was some discussion afterwards. I didn't quite know what I was even saying, you know, because that's that's a complex film in some regard, right? Now some people would just call it just babble, but I like to dismiss it as that. I like to find my meaning in it and discuss it. So we did that, and they really loved it. Both of them, I think, put it in their top five, like all time. So yeah, I could see that. Yeah, they really dug it. They're the right age too, right? And yeah. for them, their minds were kind of blown because they both love Gyllenhaal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit of a mind blower. Oh, yeah. Like when you're used to seeing him baked in a certain age-ish, and then you see him really young. Um, yeah, it was crazy. There was a few other people that you recognized too, so it was uh, it was cool. Um, another one uh, we put on, probably a little crass, but I don't know, whatever. We would set it to watch The Hangover. Hmm. Someone wanted a comedy we threw it on. So this, I don't know. Uh, I, you know, I was never a huge fan of this. Maybe it's the vibe of watching it with other people. I, I, I enjoyed it more this time. Hmm. I think it's fine art by any stretch, but, um, and some of the age, some of the jokes surprisingly have not aged. Well, not unsurprisingly <laughs> haven't aged very well. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. It's not that old, but you know, a decade on there's things that just, Ooh, you know, but nonetheless, <laughs> Uh, it has its moments. So, and and I'll maintain that you know, Zach Galifianakis is incredible in it. Yeah, so yeah, he is. His is. his lack of vanity in a lot of projects is just it's 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 admirable. You know, that's that's one where I've never seen the sequels to it. Well, if the law of diminishing returns ever applied, mm. it's them. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So I think you're better as a one and done on that. Uh, next up was Braden's choice, and he went upstairs to the room and did something that we don't do as often as we should, considering the extensive catalog we have. He picked a Blu-ray off the shelf, mm. and he picked Chud. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so I thought about Todd, our buddy Todd. Mm-hmm. He's a Chud fan. Yep. <laughs> and we watched it, and he dug it. I, I was I was worried because the film isn't like this bonkers movie as you know as you recall it's it's got something to say yeah 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 the second one is the bonkers one yeah the second one bud the chud bud the chud yeah so he um we quite liked it uh it was it was great to watch it with him it was cool for him to see two home alone alumni <laughs> yeah <laughs> a lot younger that again bit of a mind melter for him he's taken to calling our dog affectionately a chud now nice so, nice. and I, of course, feign uh, <laughs> shock and horror at him calling her that. So, yeah, Chud, man, it was good on him. Uh, next up. You, <laughs> you hear my son snoring in the background? No, I can't pick it up. <laughs> I can hear it. I wonder if people podcasting hear it. <laughs> next. Uh, next up was one that is so, so GGTMC. It was on the Arrow Channel. It's uh, Nico Masterakis's Nightmare at Noon. Yeah, so this is one we've never covered. And I don't know how we've gotten... I, I think you did it on like a midnight ride or something. But we've never officially covered it. And it's one of those ones where it's just like... It screams... Like most of Masterakis' stuff, it just screams us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So 
there, it's it's incredible. It's incredible. Uh, Wings Hauser, Bo Hopkins, George Kennedy, Brian James, and a cast of other participants. Um, it's amazing. I mean, it really is. It's uh, it's it's very fun. If you haven't seen it, check it out. You get to see a Wings Bo uh, Bo Hopkins, George Kennedy team up that is one for the ages. Yes, it's a little little bit the crazies. Uh, it's, it's wild, man. It's, it's a good time. Yeah. I mean, I think the the number one thing with that one is just all those great kind of character actors working together. It's just kind of fun to have them all in the same movie. Oh, it is. It totally is. Uh, last one I'll talk about this week is I think a couple weeks ago on the Sunday, we finished the show and I was just putting around the house and I wanted to throw on a documentary and I don't usually, to be honest, I use Netflix very little. Although they do have some good stuff, obvious statement, but I just, yeah, I don't tend to go to Arrow or Criterion or somewhere else. But I saw the poster for Dick Johnson is Dead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've, I've heard about this. I still haven't watched it, but I know about it. So I was going to message you. I absolutely love this. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things. I really, really, really liked it. Um, I think it'll hit home for, for people that have had a loss in their life. Um, it, the director, Kirsten Johnson, you know, it basically chronicles her father's, uh, life, but also sort of his final stages as he's, um, given, uh, a terminal, um, a terminal, uh, he's, he's diagnosed with a terminal illness. And there's a lot of kind of funny, quirky humor where they stage all these ridiculous murders and deaths of him. And he's very game as the son or as the father, just, you know, to, to indulge his daughter's whims. It's, uh, yeah, it's wonderful. It's a really wonderful, really moving, uh, high, high recommend. Like it'll, it'll be on my first time watches list for sure this year. Nice. Really loved it. And it's only it's under ninety minutes. It's like eighty nine minutes. Yeah, it's just one of those ones I just haven't gotten to. I don't know why. I need to check it out. I think you'd really enjoy it, man. I think you'd really enjoy it. I uh, I can't remember what I compared it to, frankly. And I'll be very frank: the coffee has nowhere near kicked in yet, so I'm not as articulate as I want to be, especially about this one. But <laughs> really, really loved it. Nice. That's good. Because I, I said I haven't heard a negative thing about it. To be honest with you. Okay. Nice. All right. That's everything. That's everything. Well, for now, I got to save some for the sequel, baby. Yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. You never know when you're going to have a light week like I did this week. I had a light oh. week, so you know, I watched. Uh, I did watch one thing. I finally got around to watching uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, so I finally got around to checking that out, and uh, yeah, you know, it, it was wonderful. It is definitely, it's an insane movie. I mean, yes. it is nuts, and uh, I. I I'm amazed that stuff like this uh, crosses over into the mainstream because this is this is like, you know, it's just not the typical thing that crosses over into the mainstream. It's just so bonkers. How bonkers is it that this film swept the Oscars? How insane is that? Like, it, this is an alternate universe. Yeah, this is an alternate universe. I mean, it really is. I mean, this is like one of the small universes in this movie because, I mean, I, I just it blows my mind that this movie has done what it's done and everything. Now, 
I do have some issues with the movie. I don't think it, it nails everything. I think it's almost too bonkers for its own good. Yeah. But you cannot say that it's not a wholly original, entertaining, insane piece of filmmaking. <laughs> oh, gosh. Absolutely. It makes me want to go see Swiss Army Man now. I've never seen it. Yeah. Well, I've never no. seen it either. I know about it, but I've just never seen it. But this, I mean, and not only that, just I was sitting thinking, well, even while I'm watching it, I mean, here we go. We got a Best Picture winner with Michelle Yeoh in it. We got, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Short Round, basically. The, yeah. The, and we got, you know, James Hong. You know, the great James Hong. Jamie Lee Curtis, who won an Oscar. I mean, it's just, it's insane to me that, you know, and it, it's really a tribute to... Hollywood in a way that you know that they're willing to accept genre cinema like this um, I think we're getting there man I really feel yeah. like we're getting there because criterion not not to steamroll you but look at what the stuff they've been putting out over the years yeah the next generation of and I was talking to someone last night about this the next generation of film lovers and filmmakers grew up watching genre film genre movies right and we see the the art in the muck and and the heart in the muck mm -hmm. and it's 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 worthy and it doesn't have to be cheap or a dirty word well it could be also that you know we've reached a point where the balance has shifted again kind of like the the film nerds that grew up the film uh, what do they call those the the film brats that came in the 70s scorsese and de palma and all them yeah um you know these guys all grew up on genre movies you know, mm -hmm. B, B movies and stuff. And that inspired a, a whole generation of filmmakers. It could be that we're, we're reaching the second wave of that, maybe. With, yeah. the, with the Daniels and some of these guys, with Jordan Peele and everything. I mean, the, 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 we, we just could be reaching the second wave of, you know, genre being taken more seriously. And that's, that's, that's a good thing. Because, uh, it, you, know, you know, it forever and always will get a bit of a bad rep when it shouldn't. Because, I mean, the genre is what it is. I mean, there's a reason why people say, well, I'm in the mood for something funny or I'm in the mood for something scary or I'm in the mood for something wacky. Mm -hmm. You say these things because you're looking for a genre movie. You don't just, you don't hear people just, well, you do hear people sometimes say I'm in the mood for something good. <laughs> yeah, like, of course. But good is obviously in the eye of the beholder. And there's a lot of genre movies that are very, very good. So, you know, I'm just happy to see that, and uh, yeah, I'm happy the movie held up. But it, it uh, for me, all the way through. But it is, I tell you what, though, it is a, it's a film that'll exhaust you in some ways. Uh, yeah, it's really hitting you over the head with just about everything, and um, it it literally is everything everywhere all at once. I mean, there's a reason why they call it that, and that's what it is. It's also kind of hard to believe that it even got made, uh, got the release it got. And has been pushed as much as it has, and you know that you know ultimately it all paid off. If you would have told me two years ago or a year and a half ago, whenever when I first saw the trailer for this, that this would catch on like it did, I would have said you were crazy. It's not going to happen. Agreed. Michelle Yeoh is Michelle Yeoh, and and she has a, a very solid fan base, and I know a lot of those people, and I'm one of those people. But I never would have thought it would be what it is. And uh, that's pretty amazing. So it's kind of like the parasite thing, you know. It's just, it's it's just it's nice that these genre filmmakers and genre films are crossing over more and more. And uh, a lot of people, 
knock you know the amount of streaming stuff and everything else that's out there but i think the streaming stuff is actually a healthy thing because you get a lot of filmmakers experimenting um i know there's you know there's something to be said about these streaming services trying to make prestige movies that's a little different but i'm just talking about you know where they'll throw five or ten or twenty million dollars at some filmmaker and make some random uh video release that would have been a just straight video release back in the old days but that's how these filmmakers become noticed. I mean, that's how they, they get noticed. And, you know, Swiss Army Man did not get a big release. I remember when it came out, it, it, but it didn't get a huge release. But it had those genre tropes about it that uh, people talked about. And uh, now it does have me interested to check it out as well. So Same. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm all about it now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that's what I watched. That's the only thing I watched. It took a while to process that thing, let me tell you. There's lots to process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was fun though. It was a really good time and a really great movie. So it deserved the accolades it got. I mean, I didn't see everything that was nominated for Best Picture, but I have no problem with that one winning Best Picture because it's a wholly original piece. Even oh, yeah. even in a world where multiverse is a normal word nowadays, uh, it's still a wholly original piece of filmmaking. So and just imaginative, like to the tilt. I mean, I I can't even. I don't even know how they came up with this stuff. You know, it just feels oh, like it feels like they were just sitting around like, well, what if we did this? And people are like, that's a bad idea. And like, well, we might as well go ahead and do it. I mean, the scene of the 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 fight, the karate, the uh, the martial arts fight with the the butt plugs, essentially. Oh my god! Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, it's insane. I, Think I, about I, it. Uh, yeah, that's best I, picture I, material. I, Think about that for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, how has this, how, how, how did this happen? <laughs> yeah. And the best thing about the butt plug thing was the first time you see that one trophy that, uh, or that one award that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis has, you think to yourself, well, that's a butt plug. Yep. The best thing about that joke is that later on when it does pay off, you got another one and they go one step further by sticking a trophy up his rear end, <laughs> uh, like a full size trophy. And it's yeah. like, good Lord. <laughs> just insane oh i know man um and then you know here we are it's it's a prestige movie now it's a best picture winner in the history of the academy butt plugs have now made best picture (laughs) what a time it's a it's a it's a diverse time in the world so that's a good thing um all right that's uh that's all i watched i didn't watch anything else um i don't know if we know we got anything else going on yeah, you know, if you you know you've been on your trip, how was that? Oh, it was marvelous. Uh, I got to play rugby in the mountains of Jasper, Alberta. Yeah, it was gorgeous. It's it just awe inspiring. Maybe want to go rent a cabin there and and spend some time with the family. Um, hadn't been there in probably close to forty years. Um, wow. It was like twenty. Well, I guess what's the what's the conversion? Twenty two Celsius, so about. Uh, 70 early to mid 70s yeah which is very uncharacteristic for this time of year for alberta nice so this is so, yeah. you, got, you guys getting travel tips yeah yeah podcast. absolutely man no it was it was good it was a good time i'm glad to be home though yes i'm sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's like all trips you know eventually you reach a point where you're like i'd rather be home <laughs> yeah yeah no it was great good yeah. times but it was time to come home uh, well, I'm checking my clock here, my watch, my Apple watch, my speed dial, my Casio keyboard watch, <laughs> everything I got. And I think it's, you know what time it is? Um, 
What time is it? <laughs> it's time for this or that. If I can hit the play button. <laughs> It's uh, again part of the fun of doing this show at this point is just to trying to transition to this or that is uh, you know it's a special thing. <laughs> I got a good one. I'm going to use. Okay, all right. I don't think I have any. I can maybe try to think of one while I'm doing this, but oh, I meant like a segue. Oh, okay. But I, have, I have some this or that. So I was in the plane now. Actually, I was writing some down. No, look at you. Look at you. We didn't do it last week. I often tell people when I'm not when I don't have you around because I'm not very good at coming up with these because my brain doesn't work as well for that kind of stuff for whatever reason. I always say, "Well, that's Will's baby." So <laughs> let's uh, we'll just skip that this week. And I had Brad and uh, Jose on last week to talk about uh-huh. Mark for Death. So. That was fun. We had plenty to talk about anyway. So, oh yeah, absolutely. Well, Steven Skull, and uh, <laughs> so we had a good time with that. But uh, hit me up. What, what you got? What you got? I'm gonna hit you up with one that that came to me when I was watching a movie that shouldn't have eluded me for as long as it has. The Sisters Brothers, Joaquin Phoenix or Jake Gyllenhaal. So that movie has eluded me too. And how has that happened? Dude, and and I still have what halfway to go because I'm old and tired or earlier than usual, but. Really enjoying it, man. Jacques Audiard, great filmmaker, incredible cast. Mm-hmm. I've heard good things about it, too. Yeah, it's so far so good. Very different, but very, very good. Joaquin Phoenix or Jake Gyllenhaal. Is that what you said? Yes, sir. Hmm. Well, this might seem like a quick and easy answer, but I think I'm going to go Joaquin because I just like the risk Joaquin takes more. Yeah. he's uh, He's an actor, I think, who has no... Vanity? Yeah, that's gone. He doesn't care about that at all. And I appreciate that. I really do because he just feels very real. I mean, he is arguably becoming the actor of his generation. I mean, he has really done this. And he's what's amazing to me about him is he's done it in big movies and he's done it in small movies. It's like, you know, you never know what you're going to get from Joaquin Phoenix. You just really don't know what you're going to get. You know you're going to get a good performance. You just don't know what kind of movie it's going to be. Yeah. And this Bo is Afraid thing has really got me fascinated. It's a three-hour movie. Dude, I saw it yesterday. Oh, did you? Okay. All right. So there you go. I'm holding, uh, oh, you, it's you, not for everyone, but William and I went to see it. Yeah, nice, nice. It's 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 awesome. Yeah. I'll talk more about it maybe next week. But okay. I, yeah. I almost wanted to call you last night and be like, oh, my God. <laughs> well, I mean, it, just, it looks like it's tailor-made for film buffs and things like oh, yeah. that. So. But, I mean, he, just in everything he does. I mean, he's got a Napoleon film, I think, coming out with yeah. Ridley Scott, which is a big film. And then he'll, you know, he's doing a Joker sequel, which some have said is a musical. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But it is happening because I've seen photo shoots and mm-hmm. and behind-the-scenes sets. I, at first, I thought it was all just a big joke, but it's actually happening. Him and Lady Gaga, evidently. So, I mean, it just seems like there's just a lot of risk being taken in a time when he with him in a time when nobody's really taking risk anymore now jake gyllenhaal is great i like jake gyllenhaal i really do but yeah i don't think he can compete with uh joaquin i really don't i i am also joaquin i think it's for me it's closer than you a little bit Mm -hmm. but i agree that i think arguably 
Joaquin's going to be the actor of this generation because usually the higher profile an actor gets, the less risks he takes. And Joaquin's like, nope, I'm going to keep taking them and doing crazy stuff. I think, you know, Pattinson is doing a lot of similar things as a younger actor, but I love Jake Gyllenhaal and I think he's deceptively, incredibly diverse. Yes. Like he's got a lot of incredible films in his filmography and he, he's very, like, think about something like Nightcrawler, that he can do something like Nightcrawler and then, although I haven't seen it, do something like uh, Southpaw where he's just this beefed up boxer. Um, just, he's so diverse and I really love him, but yeah, I'm also Joaquin on this one. Yep. Yeah, yep. Um, okay, next one. Tale of Two Donnies, because coincidentally I picked these for my last two family movie night picks. Donnie Darko or Donnie Brasco? <sighs> Donnie Darko or Donnie Brasco? Hmm. Now look, I love Donnie Brasco. Um, I do. But Donnie Darko, again, almost kind of going back to the, to the uh, Joaquin Phoenix argument, is... Just a wholly original piece of filmmaking, right? And just, uh, I think it's held up. And I, because of that, I have to pick it over uh, Donnie uh, Brasco. But, man, I think Donnie Brasco gets a bit of a bad rap. I think it's like one of Al Pacino's best performances, actually. Like, for me, like top five Al Pacino. And that's saying something. That is saying something, definitely. Yeah. But there are scenes in that, like scenes when he realizes things are going bad, where some of the acting is just unbelievable. Like he's doing nothing but just saying it with his face. And it's just like, to me, it's just like, wow. Because, you know, that's not the typical Pacino thing, especially at that era. Pacino, he's he's usually like loud and and over the top and, you know, really emoting. But in that film, he's real quiet. And when he realizes some things, and I can't really talk about it without giving the whole thing of Donnie Brasco away, which most people have probably seen it by now. But nonetheless, there's a moment when he's sitting in a chair and he just realizes that things are about to change for him in a bad way. Mm -hmm. And it's just, uh, it's just an amazing, it's an amazing piece of acting. And actually I think Johnny Depp's really good in that as well. I think he did. I think he gets overlooked because he became such a big star of these big movies. I think we forget that everybody was a big Johnny Depp fan before these big movies. Um, they kind of turned on him obviously for things that were going on behind the scenes and, and all that kind of craziness. But, um, you know, at one time, you know, he was also a risk taker. He, I, yeah, absolutely, he was, yeah. and so absolutely. was so was Al Pacino. <laughs> yeah, and that's actually one of the actors that Joaquin Phoenix reminds me of is Al Pacino because he can be really loud, and he can be really quiet and really, effortlessly. Yeah, yeah, he can kind of go back and forth. Because there's no. times when Joaquin Phoenix, he there's time we we'll go back to that original one, that original uh, this or that. There's times I want to bring this up that way that he'll do stuff that makes you just feel painfully awkward. Oh God, yeah. And it's like, that is embarrassing. Like, I wouldn't have done that. Oh, oh, God. (laughs) I've heard some things, yes. And, uh, but there's moments when Pacino, I think, is the same way. He's like, I'm just going to go for it. And it's going to get made fun of, or it's going to be a genius move. And it's kind of went back and forth for him. But, yeah, I really like Donnie uh, Donnie Brasco, but I'm going to go with Donnie Darko on this one. So I'm also Darko. But I got to say, and I'll talk about this in a few weeks, I recently... As I just alluded to, rewatched Donnie Brasco. It was a pick for movie night for me. I like it, but it has not aged very well for me. Hmm. Uh, in my mind, pre second watch, because I hadn't seen it since theaters, I would have been probably like, oh, yeah, this is like an 8, 8.25 if I was sort of grading off of memory. Mm-hmm. 
then when I rewatched it, it came in like maybe a six and a half, seven. Yeah. So the problem with Donnie Brasco that I remember is everybody else in the film is not up to par with the two leads. And they're miscast. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of like Michael Madsen's the head of a crime family. Yeah. Um, Anne Hesh is kind of given a bit of a thankless role, but she's not great. Um, and oddly, like, and, and, and maybe, you know, I will be forthright and say I didn't without looking, do you know who directed Donnie Brasco? It was an Englishman. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. So I was completely clueless. It was Mike Newell who yeah. also directed like a Harry Potter film and, you know, an accomplished filmmaker in his own right, but I think love actually, maybe I don't know maybe, if it was him or not. Maybe. Maybe, but it's just it's just so weird. Like it feels like there's moments in this film that feel very, like, caricature cliche mm-hmm. mob movie cliche. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the two central performances, absolutely strong. They're the heartbeat of the film, and Pacino especially. Like you said, at this point, he was so used to going wow. Yeah, but he's quieter in moments. That moment in the chair is great. Yeah, Mike so. Newell, um, Four Weddings and a Funeral. Ah, uh, yes, yes, was his first big hit. Yeah, so an accomplished filmmaker just seemed a little bit square peg round hole. It did, it did. It was, uh, you know, and I, sometimes that works. Sometimes you get a and I, a director from another country doing a very American genre film. Sometimes that can work. And I think uh, again for the two lead performances, I I know it works, but I can't remember yes. enough about the rest of it. I'd have to go back and look at it, but I will someday. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna really get wild here i'm gonna give you a this that or the other oh no we're now we're adding we're adding a third wheel to this whole thing these three dudes all popped into my head at the same time and i felt like because of their physical stature it would be fun to kind of lump them in together to kind of have fun with this too mike newell actually directed prince of persia the sands of time the jake gyllenhaal action movie yeah wow not sad (laughs) he really is all over the place wasn't he (laughs) yeah wow anyway Um, okay, uh, Ned Beatty, George Kennedy, or Wilfred Brimley? Hmm. Wow. Ned Beatty, George Kennedy, or what was the other one? Wilfred Brimley. Wilfred Brimley. Sean Spoudreau's uncle. Yeah. (laughs) Sean Spoudreau. Hey, Sean's. (laughs) Um, you know, that's one of our most popular episodes. No like way. top three. That, that, uh, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, people love the hard target talk. Uh, which uh, I think was just I think it was just me and Todd back in the day. I don't know if you were there yet. Back. That's amazing. Yeah, that's a crazy though that that one of all the ones the other two that are more some of our most popular episodes are the last one we did before I took we took the break before you came back, and then the one where you came back, which is the most popular episode. So nice. Um. I got to think of bodies of work here. Are you going to say bodies? Yeah. Well, bodies, definitely. These guys are all, you know, after my heart. Yes. These guys are, you know. They're, they're all thick boys. Pasta and donuts. Well, I mean, Wilford obviously lived a long time with diabetes. And, and uh, he. Uh, <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah. I mean, he took, you know, I know he's a big guy, but he took care of himself because you don't live a long time with that if you don't take care of yourself. So. I know he liked to eat, but he also monitored what he ate and stuff because he was never a small dude. Um, whew, man, that is this is tough. I think pound for pound, the best actor of those three for me is probably Ned Beatty. 
because he just has some moments that are unforgettable. And we're kind of going back to the, I mean, think about his sheriff and White Lightning and uh, some of the other performances he's had. Deliverance, obviously, he's kind of a smaller role, but obviously he's unforgettable in it. Uh, maybe in a way that he probably never planned on being, but certainly it's still a, an amazing performance, I think. Um, George Kennedy obviously did a lot of fun stuff and just didn't turn down anything. I, I, look, I love all three, but I think uh, you know, in the in the in the sake of time here, I'm just going to say Ned Beatty, <laughs> Louisville, Kentucky's own Ned Beatty. Oh, nice! <laughs> a shout out to his greaser role in that like uh, monster truck film we did. Remember? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Rolling Vengeance, I think was the name. Of yeah, that's right. That's it. <laughs> um, I think you you know you create a pretty compelling argument for each of these guys. I'm going to go George Kennedy though. Okay. I mean, I don't know if there's a wrong answer here. Hey, there is no wrong answer. It's like, you know, Neapolitan ice cream. Yes. All three flavors are valid. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yes. You can decide who is who. Um, But I just, you know, what prompted this one was watching Nightmare at Noon. And and I just, I've been on a bit of a, like over the course of the past month or so, a bit of a George Kennedy run. Because he's done, like you said, a lot of, a lot of, (laughs) a lot of fun stuff. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I I don't know, man. Kennedy always breathes life into films. And I think I like him better as a good guy. You know, he's just got this kind of brawny dad charm. I don't know, man. Mm -hmm. It's it's good. But all three are good. Yeah. No, all three are great. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. All right. Is that enough? This or that? I think we yeah, I think so. this week. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, we, got, we got a movie we got to talk about. Yeah, we got a movie we got to talk about. All right, we're going to take a short break. Come back and talk Buck and the Preacher. We'll be back right after this. Sonora, I tell you friends I adore her And when she dances, oh brother She's a hurricane in all kinds of weather Jump in the line, rock your body on time Okay, I believe you jump in the line Rock your body on time Okay, I believe you jump in the line All right, I dare, I dare you not to be singing that the rest of the day <laughs> I agree, and I love, I've always, you know, that's, that's an obvious choice But how can you go with anything else? Well, I mean, it's not the most obvious choice but uh, the, I often think of that. It's kind of looked upon as the lesser of the two songs, but I think I've always liked that one more than the other one. Same, same. same. And here's the thing. I always love that line, she's a hurricane in all kinds of weather or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's a good line. line. Great line. But also, here's a bit of GGTMC trivia. Have we ever... Have you ever met a girl? No. Have we ever covered a film where the lead-in song was sung by the star of the film um i don't know have we i feel like we would have maybe wings Hauser, maybe well yeah that, that would that happened in vice squad yeah neon yeah. sleaze or whatever it neon is. neon slime Neon slime yeah yeah um i'm sure we have 
I mean, it happens. Not very often, though. Over six hundred and yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, Todd and I did a couple of Elvis movies, so that's an e- that's easy. So that's okay. Yeah, so that happened. So we could probably count them on one hand, ish. Probably, probably, maybe, maybe somewhere between five and ten. But I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of movies though. There's thousands. So <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, uh, good question though. Good question. And um, yeah, so let's let's talk about this one, Bucking the Preacher. Uh, 72, directed by Sidney Poitier after Joseph Sargent walked off or was fired or whatever happened. A wagon master and a con man preacher helped freed slaves dogged by cheap labor agents out west. So this one uh, has a, a, a bunch of stars in it, really, in a lot of ways. Sidney Poitier, obviously, who passed away not too long ago. Harry Belfonte, who passed away recently. <clears throat> there are two leads. We also get Ruby D. We get uh, the great... <laughs> I call him great because he just never turned anything down, and he's always fun every time he pops up, in my opinion. That's Cameron Mitchell. Couldn't agree more, and he is amazing in this. Yeah, he's playing Deshay in this, and he's way over the top. Oh, yeah. And with a silly mustache, and I don't know what's going on. <laughs> he's, he, is, he is a joy in this. We also get uh, Denny Miller, who's actually one of the handful or a little bit more than a handful of actors who's played Tarzan. Denny Miller, he of great IMDb photo fame. Yeah, yeah, he's got his Tarzan uh, loincloth on uh, there. But uh, yeah, I remember him in, uh, I think it's the 60s version of Tarzan, maybe maybe 50s. I, I remember seeing it as a kid. And I remember, I've always, every time I see him, I always think of Tarzan. He's one of the Tarzans. So, get Nita Talbot in here. A few other actors here and there that you would probably know if you see them. A lot of character actors. Mm-hmm. Um, especially African-American character actors, but just about every type of uh, ethnicity in here in a lot of ways. Uh, I think the, I want to say, though, that the the Native Americans may not have been portrayed by Native Americans. It's one of those, but I, I don't know for sure. But it does feel like old Hollywood in that way. And um, you'll see, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it. Um, all right, I, I can lead on this one uh, since you picked it and stuff. I'll talk about it a little bit. And so, you know, this is an interesting one. I, I, I was kind of happy uh, when, when uh, uh, was it Us? Not Us, um, Nope, when Nope came out. And uh, Jordan Peele managed to put a Buck and the Preacher poster in the background because yes, it kind of opened people's eyes to it again a little bit. And then Criterion put it out, and that kind of helped as well. This one's kind of always been overlooked, even in Sidney Poitier's kind of filmography. He's directed, you know, a few films. But this one was always kind of overlooked, in my opinion. I think the number one thing about this one that's overlooked, though, for me, and it's kind of fitting that you pick this, is Harry Belafonte's performance, which is so over the top. Uh, And not in a bad way. Over top in a good way. Like, he's this wild-eyed, rabid uh, preacher man. Who I don't know that he is truly a preacher as much as he. It's like a. It's almost like a grift for him. Yes, and I think to paint a picture for people, and I'll and I'll say this. It's always tricky to do a memorial episode or a tribute episode to someone who's passed, mm-hmm. and tragically Poitier, who I wanted to do one for anyway. Yeah, so we got we got both of them here uh, now. And Belafonte, who are, who are always linked because of their their friendship and, of course, their their work, um, the civil rights movement. Ruby D also passed, Mitchell passed, but 
it's always tricky because you want to give them a proper send off, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I knew the performances were good. Um, I knew I liked the Belafonte performance, but to give people a picture here, it's almost like it, this is like a, a Thomas Millian esque performance in some ways. Yes. Yes, it's it's that kind of performance. So Todd and I, a long time ago, we did Odds Against Tomorrow, which is a Harry Belafonte movie, 1959. Really good movie. I would recommend people check it out. But he kind of walks away from acting, and then doesn't and doesn't you know as much as we like know Harry Belafonte and what he is, he doesn't really he didn't really do a lot of films. He would, uh, as a matter of fact, he's only got 22 acting credits. But he would pop up and stuff every now and then. But for me, this has always been the one that I remember the most between this one and I think the character in Uptown Saturday Night, which is another one that I've wanted to cover but have backed off of because of the you know, the craziness behind the Bill Cosby stuff and everything else and just don't feel like talking about it right now. As yeah. time goes on, we'll probably get to it. But it's a Sidney Poitier film as well, but it's a childhood favorite film I love. And would watch on repeat. It's actually one of the first VHS tapes, first recorded off TV films when we had a VHS player that I would just watch on repeat um, because I loved it so much, right? Um, and I thought Sidney Poitier and, and Bill Cosby were great together. And, of course, Harry Belfonte's in there as well. Um, I don't know how it would hold up now, obviously, with all the stuff that's happened, but I would still be interested in checking it out again someday soon. But this this performance is unforgettable in a lot of ways because Belafonte typically kept his hair cropped short uh, or he just shaved his head. Uh, you know, a handsome man. Uh, here he is dodging all that. He's got long uh, kind of ratty hair. Uh, he's unkempt. His teeth are, uh, for lack of a better word, they're brown. They're repulsive. Yeah. It's a very intentionally and decidedly unglamorous performance. It is. And because of Belafonte's got these, he's, he does have this kind of wild-eyed energy. He always did. But oh, yeah. he has this kind of wild-eyed energy in this with his eyes and some of the acting he does. Uh, I don't know if it was Sargent's idea or Potier's idea, but they do a really good job. I mean, it, it's a spaghetti Western performance in an American Western, if that makes sense. It is. It's it's, it's a Thomas Millian type performance in, in an American Western. So, I, you know... Poitier's his usual kind of stoic self here, and he's really good in the movie. Don't get me wrong. Sidney Poitier, I kind of go back and forth on him sometimes. Sometimes I find him too – I find him too stoic. Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes I think he's really good. He's really good in this one. I think he gets the emotion right in this one and stuff, and I think he kind of nails it. And the gun violence is really solid in this. Uh, You know, I mean, you got to have that, and I think it's really good. And, you know, it's it's an interesting movie because it's a typical Western in some ways. But then it's atypical because it's still with slavery and it's dealing with, you know, the 40 acres and a mule and move out west and and all these things. And it's dealing with some some political topics. But at the same time, it's basically just dealing with human rights and not in a heavily preachy way. It kind of opens telling us, you know, about this this plight of the African-American, the slaves that were freed and all that, but it never really, after that, it never really hits you over the head with any of this material. It just kind of plays out as an entertaining Western. Yep. And I think that's a tricky balance. And I think that's what genre movies can do. They can be very political without being completely, you know, a nail, you know, being hit on the head with a hammer. 
while still entertaining, right? Yeah. I think some filmmakers get that, some don't. And I think it's a tricky balance. I really do. I, I mean, I, you can be one scene away from being too serious or one scene away from being too silly. It really is that oh, simple. Yeah. But I think this one nails it pretty much all the way through. And I really like that Belafonte and, and Poitier, they, 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 their meat cute is kind of funny, um, first of all, because Poitier is still in his horse. Oh, yeah. And uh, you get to see a lot of Belafonte here. Uh, basically coming out of the creek nude and stuff. And uh, if, right from the hop, you just know that these two are going to be an interesting combo. And you have the, I, I don't want to give anything away, but you have the added benefit of Cameron Mitchell kind of chewing scenery and being the heavy. And I don't want to give anything away about his character. Um, but, you know, you see also in this film the corruption of the towns and the corruption of the West goes way deeper than just Deshay and Cameron Mitchell, right? He's the hired hand to help enforce the corruption, but so are other folks. Like it just goes further and further and deeper and deeper, which is an ongoing issue with American history, right? Is corruption the further up the chain you go? Corruption and institutional racism. Yes, yes. Uh, before they would call it that, but that's 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 basically what it is. And um, I, I really like that. I really I really found that interesting, and I find it kind of brave in a way that Poitier would go ahead and take this on because, you know, Western filmmaking, a lot of people, you know, there's people out there that don't like Westerns. There's people out there that just don't think it's, you know, it's, it's genre movies. It's like a horror movie in some way. But the truth is if you can make a solid Western, I think you can make just about any film in America. And I think Poitier, I'm, I think this is a solid Western through and through like a solid American Western. Oh Yeah. You could claim it. You can almost claim it being a black exploitation western in a way, but it doesn't have the true grittiness that some of those would end up having. Yeah, it does feel like a classier, and I don't mean that it is as a disparaging term. It feels like a higher production value uh, film. Like it feel, let me let me backpedal that. It feels like a studio film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like a well done studio film. Well done. It looks really nice too. I. Uh, I ended yeah. up, it was on Criterion, but they took it off there. I'm sure it'll pop back on there at some point. But uh, I watched it on iTunes, rented it there, HD copy, uh, really nice. Looked really good. Um, I was actually kind of surprised at how good it does look. Uh, not just the transfer, but just the way the film looks in general. It just looks like a really nicely made Western. And, um, you know, even saying that, I mean, the, the HD quality is really good. I'm sitting there, I was worried about Harry Belafonte getting out of that creek nude with all them cacti around. Oh, good Lord, man. That's yeah. precarious. <laughs> he was close to some of those. Close. Um, but, you know, I, I think it, it it looks really nice. And, you know, again, <clears throat> the movie turns into, it, it hits all the genre tropes. And this is important. It hits, uh, it hits heist movie. It hits uh, uh, folks on the run, kind of like a Butch Cassidy, a Sundance Kid type element. Um, so it keeps you entertained because it's hitting these genre beats. Um, there's some good moments, a good shootout moment in the small town. Um, oh, yeah. there's a good relationship between Belafonte, uh, not Belafonte. Well, there is a good relationship to Bel Belafonte and Potier. We know that that's the central relationship, but there's also a really good one between Potier and Ruby D. Oh, f wonderful. Yeah. yeah. That makes you feel, you know, a lot of emotion. And not only that, but Potier is this, as Buck, he's this kind of, he's this kind of hero, um, because he just kind of keeps trying to help people. And there's this kind of 
astuteness, this kind of um, clinical good guyness that Potier kind of exudes in this film that yep. uh, that I think is really kind of suited for his personality. And I think that's why I like this performance from him so much is because it just really fits with who he was. It seems to me who he was as a person. It, you know, it, 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 out of all of his performances, this one has always kind of almost felt the most like maybe Sidney Poitier actually was. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair because I think there's a certain – I should say I want to back – I know this is about Belafonte, but they're they're linked – him and Poitier. I watched the Sydney Poitier documentary sometime last year, and I was really taken with it. I mean, it was just a wonderful, wonderful tribute to the man. And a lot of times he was kind of damned if he did, damned if he didn't, where he had a responsibility. He felt a responsibility to play a person of color with a certain dignity um, and class and he didn't want to really roll around in the muck too much because he was representing a people right so mm -hmm. and then of course uh, a lot of people of color felt like there wasn't enough nuance and he was just pandering so he, he was kind of stuck in betwixt and between but I, I think in a role like this it feels like you said it feels organic to what he was trying to accomplish what he was and and still being true to the character of Buck yes Yes. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of taken the Western tropes, too, of the white hat hero and the black hat bad guy. But in this case, Belafonte kind of being the in-between black hat. And it's kind of taken those tropes and it's kind of having fun with them. And but at the same time, it's saying a lot. It's 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 one of those tough things where, uh, you know, it's, it's saying a lot about character and about political belief and what is right and what is wrong. But it, what what I think it does really well is it puts that into a genre movie because not only is, is Buck a hero, but Buck is also a bank robber. Buck is also a killer. Um, so we we got you know we got a, a gray hero here. But this is the era of that. This is the late '60s, early '70s. So this is when the western begins to change in a lot of ways. And, you know, Clint Eastwood would ride this horse clearly off into the sunset, right, uh, for the 70s and into the 80s. Uh, these kind of troubled uh, heroes of the, of the West, men of violence who really felt like they had no choice or it was the only choice and they were just the person that had to do it. Buck gets a lot of that here. There's a lot of that here with Buck, the Buck character. He's constantly, you can tell he's constantly troubled by everything he has to do. Oh, and, yeah. And he pays on you yeah. see that. Yeah, it weighs on him. He doesn't want to be this person. He doesn't really want he's good at it, but he really doesn't want to be this person. And he doesn't understand why he has to be this person. So it's a it's a huge, it's a societal problem kind of pinned down on one character. And so in that way, it's a huge movie, uh, kind of broken down and, and put uh, all on one character's shoulders to kind of give the audience that relatability. And it's really well done the way Potier decides to shoot this because he gives Buck moments where Buck's just sitting there. And that's important because he's troubled. He's having hard times. And Harry Belafonte, he's a little bit more okay with the behavior because you can tell he's just kind of wild-eyed, again, grifter, <laughs> grifter, kind of con man character who may or may not believe in the Lord, certainly probably believes in, in God and Christianity, but uses it to his advantage more than anything else. And so 
he's a bit more, you know, for lack of a better word, he's crafty, but maybe a bit more simple-minded, less uh, less worried about the big picture, more mm-hmm. worried about the immediate, whereas Sidney Poitier is like, you know, how did the world come to this? Kind of, you know, stoicism, right? Yeah. And I think that, that balance between the two works. And then, of course, you add the Ruby D character, and, and you add Poitier's heart being tied into being in love, which complicates everything for anybody. And uh, you have a really good, you know, three-hero mix. And there's moments in this where it's shot like that. There's moments in this where Sidney Poitier, Harry Belfonte, and Ruby D are riding horses, and the music's triumphant. And Oh, yeah. And it's really great to see these three actors in particular in this moment. It's a very Western moment. There's, there's some great shots in here, though, man. Some great shots of, you know, open vistas and, you know, uh, small characters and large backgrounds. It's really great. Uh, I want to I make sure I mention, and I'll kick it over to you. I want to make sure I mention this. One of the complaints I always remember about Buck and the Preacher was the music's kind of weird. The score is kind of strange. And it is a bit of an, for lack of a better word, probably a, a little bit of an obtuse score. Uh, it's not bad. I don't think it's bad. I like it, yeah. I like it quite a bit, to be honest with you. Yeah, but it, it's kind of it's it's kind of funky and weird, and maybe not what people are used to. So that but, might that might throw some people off. I think it's good too. I, I'm perfectly okay with it. It's like a funky juice harp score, man. Yeah, yeah. It's got <laughs> the, it's got the juice harp rocking, um, but it's a little it's a little odd in its tone and i think it's just because it was trying to do something so different at the time and uh there's been you know I, like i said i've heard some complaints about it but i mean not a lot but i mean it, it is a bit of a smack in the face when you first see it because you're probably thinking you're going to see this western score but it's a little bit of a jazz fusion juice harp uh juice harp not juice um kind of crazy it's wacky I, I like it too but uh you know it's interesting actually you know benny carter who who composed the music he actually has a song called hot toddy kind of going back to todd oh they're taking it back yeah taking it back taking it back to toddy but um he didn't do a whole lot of stuff um but i think he did the iron side maybe he did some of that and some well, tv that's shows probably, like, tied to um uh quincy things i think quincy did iron side didn't he yeah i think he did the main theme yeah yeah, so and he did some stuff, uh, Raging Bull. So, yeah, I think there's a song he did in Raging Bull. There's a one he produced. I, I know the name of it. Uh, oh, it's something to do with an animal. Uh, I had to look it up. Cow, cow, boogie. Yeah, that's it. Cow, cow, boogie. Yeah, yeah, I remember that in Raging Bull. <laughs> the cow, cow, boogie. But no, I, overall, I think this movie is incredibly entertaining, uh, while being a political film. That never feels like it's like I said again. Never, it never feels like it's beating you over the head. It feels like it's dealing with important material, and it's doing it in a a simple, uh, tasteful way that genre cinema can do. And I, I think it works. I think the action beats work. I think all the the scenes work. I think there's not really any to me, not really any badly acted scenes in the whole movie. Like all the acting is great. But I think, you know, it's interesting you picked this one because I think Belafonte really stands out in this one. He's very memorable. You'll never forget him in this one, I promise you. If you've never seen this and you see this movie, you'll never forget this performance. <laughs> Agree. It's that wild-eyed and crazy. I oh, mean, yeah. Tomas Milian has a hundred of these performances, but Belafonte does not. But, yeah, Tomas Milian, he does. <laughs> oh, big time. 
but it is that kind of performance. But I'll kick it over to you, man. Cool. So, yeah, we spoke about the, the principles in this already. Uh, we, I do want to say not only does Poitier direct it, it's his directorial debut. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, very assured debut. Again, he's has to walk a tightrope. This one's 50 years old, but it's at a time when a lot of this stuff would have been very almost revolutionary and, and just exciting. I mean, you see a nude, nude black man on the screen, you know. You yes. see Belafonte's bottom. <laughs> Some better alliteration than bottom, but that's the best I could come up with. Um, you see, you know, these these men of color shooting all these white cowboys, which I'm sure went over well with certain audiences. Yes, it's a very probably revolutionary <laughs> film, and and I applaud that. And I think it's important to think of the context here, right? It's. Um, yeah, it's 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 wild. Like the film opens up, and and Poitier was a very in, deliberate, pragmatic, uh, measured man. So I think even the way he would have approached this would have been that way. But it's got this really kind of horrifying opening. It's almost like a. It's funny when you're first seeing it, and the film's got this these still photographs and like a sepia tone. It almost is is reminiscent of the Wild Bunch. Mm, yes. And the film begins. It's this really horrifying opening. It's almost like a seagull or peck and paw kind of opening, right? Lots of gunplay and, and slaughter. And it's, it's brutal. It's cruel. Not, not in the way that we would see from some spaghetti westerns, but by a traditional studio western. Um, it certainly feels that way. And you see some of the stuff when this village is getting, these people getting massacred and the animals getting killed. And you have to think this is kind of akin to, to the, the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it could have been sort of commentary on that. Um I love that despite being a traditional studio Western, there are nods to their Italian counterparts. Some of the close-ups, uh, eyes, this quick cut edit between different eyes of different people feels very Sergio Leone. Um, and yeah, it just it's I, I just when I'm rewatching this with a critical eye, I'm thinking about how revolutionary it would have been at the time. And it's uh it's and it's but it like you said it it walks that tightrope between being an important film and also it just being a good solid western right yeah. it's propulsive yeah. it's got shootouts it's got some good horseback stuff camera works good um and it's yeah it's it really it really goes for it right and it it keeps a lot of balls in the air it which does. I like it does i mean it's not a hyper violent movie but it is a violent oh. movie yeah, yeah, for the time it is. There's some stuff that's like, ooh. Um, because, yeah, some of the stuff is pretty hor- horrific and somber, especially in the context of recalling history. Um, you know what shot I think there's a shot? The shot I think is the nicest shot in the film. There's, there's a few really great moments, but just from a kind of a flashy cinematography standpoint, the moment when Belafonte and Poitier, it's, it's a kind of an aerial shot of them parting the sheep. Yeah, I really like that. I really like that. Really good shot. Um, the men, you know, it's going to be celebrated the, the sort of bromance of the film, but D needs to get her flowers as well here because she adds a certain gravitas and class and sort of a a a, a dignity and a weariness mm. to her performance. Yeah, as Buck's wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. 
and and she can really um, she keeps up with those two. She doesn't get swallowed up because I think a lesser actress would have got swallowed up by by them, and and she doesn't at all. Mm-hmm. She, she's more than capable of running with them. Um, you mentioned this earlier. Mitchell is greatest to Shea. He's you know this feels very much like uh like I I guarantee you Tarantino's a fan of this film. Hmm. You know, obvious, you know, looking at Django and stuff, but Deshay just, he is, Mitchell's a delight as Shay. He is such an awful heavy in this. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's a bad person, man. But, but kudos to, you know, what's his name? Uh, John Kelly, the sheriff. Yeah. Right. He's, he's the dissenting voice that says, well, hang on a second here. Right. You know, he's, he believes in the letter of the law and he's not as, He's not um, swayed by prejudice or, or any sort of um, racist notion. Um, I don't have a whole lot more to say, really. I mean, you covered a lot of ground. Uh, I think it's this is a solid, solid film. I don't think it's maybe at first glance it might not seem all that groundbreaking, but I think when you look at the context again of being directed by an African American filmmaker, it's his debut film. We get a lot of representation on the screen. Uh, you know, the, the principles are black. It, it, it's just a groundbreaking thing. And, and some of the stuff you said, the, the, seeing this stuff 50 years ago would have been revolutionary, right? So it's sometimes hard to see a trail that's been blazed when, when now this has become the norm for us. So it's hard to contextualize that within the framework of, of history. But I think it's important to do that. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't have a whole lot more to say. Like I said, you covered a lot of beats. Yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, I, so I'll just go ahead and give my MVTs and make a break. The, the truth is, I'm rewatching this. I thought, well, I, I know where I'm at because I'd watched this not too awful long ago and I rewatched it and I thought, well, this, you know, it's a, it's a really good seven out of 10. But I think I'm watching it this time for whatever reason. It really kind of spoke to me and it really kind of worked. So I'm going to go eight out of 10 on this thing. I'm giving the score quick here, but I just think it's where I'm at with it. I, I've thought about it all, all week and, you know, where I fall on it and stuff. But yeah, it's an eight out of 10 for me. Cause I think it's an infinitely rewatchable and just a fun Western on top of whatever, everything else it is. Uh, you know, the scene, I think that's the best scene in the movie. It, it, I really do think it's when Buck and, and the preacher meet and, uh, it's just really well done. I mean, again, you get Belafonte nude around some cacti, but the, just the way their, their conversation goes, you can tell that these two got the same, I, they got the same, mission in a lot of ways just different ways of going about it yeah and uh it's really kind of pivotal in that way and then uh you know yes it's a great performance or a great directorial debut by Sidney Poitier but I gotta go with I gotta give this one to Harry Belafonte because he is so over the top in this and so much fun and so good he got a lot of good emotional beats too um He's the comic relief, and and he's not the emotional heft of the film, but he's definitely the comic relief and kind of the energy of the film. Yeah, you know what he is. He's he's also I said Million, but it also feels like a very Tashira Mifune performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is that way. It's, it's uh-huh. you know it's aggressive, but quiet. It's uh, over the top, but subtle. It's it's, it's, it's nuanced too, right? It's yeah. not just over the top for over the top's sake. Mm-hmm. Right, there is some some complexity to it. Um, okay, that was it on your end. Sorry, yeah, for that's me. Yep. Okay, cool, cool. So I was gonna go with the same scene as you for make or break, but the more I thought about it, the scene that really hit me emotionally was the scene with 
um, Ruby D and Poite at the the dinner table mm-hmm. when she talks about the, the 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 soil or the water has been poisoned and sort of the obligation and the weight of everything and it's kind of her big dramatic scene that's not an action beat and we shift perspectives a little bit in the film to her perspective in that moment right she's given the platform so that scene really stuck with me because it it looks at the price and the toll things have taken on her on buck who won't admit it because he's very stoic and determined but i really love that scene i think it's a wonderful scene but the the meet cute with (laughs) with belafonte and poitia was a close second um mbt i'm right with you when I think about this film, that's the first thing I think of is Belafonte's performance. Mm-hmm. It's got this wide-eyed energy, this mischievous grin. It's a very unglamorous performance. His teeth are horribly rotten in this film. His <laughs> hair is wild. And he's still this charismatic turn that you just you can't take your eyes off him. And the way they play off each other um, is just a delight. But yeah, Belafonte is, is my MVT. My score is a little lower than yours. It's a 7.5 out of 10. But again, I think this is a great Sunday afternoon film. It's tame enough that you could watch it with your kids. Um, but there's a lot of history behind it. And and I just think it's it's a, it's a rock solid film. And Poitier does a great job with it. So there you go. Nice. Nice. Good stuff. All right. That's our thoughts on Buck and the Preacher. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. Check it out. It's, uh, it's out there to rent. I don't know if it's out there streaming anywhere right now, but. It is out there to rent. And, of course, I guess to buy. I imagine it's still for sale at the Criterion Collection. I imagine they still got it out there. I'll have to check that disc in the extras and see if there's, you know, good enough yeah. to buy it. I'd like to own that. Um, next thing. next week, um, we're going to hop into something. Um, well, I mean, I got this one that I got from Arrow that I've been wanting to cover for a while. I think I've seen it. I want to say I've seen it, but I I don't know for sure if I've seen it because I feel like these actors, I would have seen it. So I need to check it out again. So it's going to be, I'm going to be picking the Assassination Bureau uh, next week from 1969. This has got Oliver Reed, uh, Diana Rigg, and Telly Savalas in the leads. So Nice. I don't know that I've seen this one either, to be honest. It feels like I would have, but I can't say for certain. It feels I don't like think I have. Yeah, I mean, so that that's the thing, right? It's like you know, I went through a really strong Oliver Reed era, and uh, I feel like I watched this, but then when I read the plot synopsis and I look at the stills, nothing is kind of drawing my attention that, that I remember. So I don't know. I don't think I have ever watched it, and I feel like I would have remembered. Telly Savalas, if anything, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty fun team up. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be fun to kind of talk about that one, but that's what we're going to do next week. Um, I don't really have anything else. Check out all the other podcasts that are affiliated with us. You can hear my son I, snoring in the background. Go ahead, Will. I did. I did. I want to pour one out and give flowers to our 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 brothers, our dear friends at Cult of Muscle. Uh, they're taking a hiatus of an undetermined length right now. Oh, okay. Um, okay. You know, they've been doing it for a long time, mm-hmm. right? Those guys are just in lockstep, you know. Um, we've been with them. They've been with us from the get-go. And, uh, you know, they're taking a break. We know what that's like. But I want to wish them all the best. If this is just the end of one chapter or if it's the 
the closing of a book. Um, what a run. They've built up a wonderful community. They're exceptional guys. And just want to just shout them out and give them love. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes uh, life comes in there and you, I mean, I just came off of a break. Sometimes things just get to be too much. This is fun to do. But, uh, you know, sometimes life uh, really hinders doing this. So uh, sometimes it just, you know, it happens. It happens to all of us. So hopefully they'll get back on the horse and get going again. But uh, we'll yeah. see. We'll see. But, yeah, all the, all those podcasts, uh, Not a Bomb, obviously, the Watch Skip Plus guys, Night of Living Podcast, all the, all the folks that we've been associated with over the years, Mary Clickers. Yeah, absolutely love that album. Yeah. Let's see, blah, blah, blah. And I think, you know, I don't like. I don't know if I don't know if Emily and them are still doing the feminine critique or not. Yeah, they might yeah, be. Yeah, absolutely. I think they are. I don't listen to nearly as much as I used to because I just don't have the time. But I, no, I still want everybody to be involved because there's not enough talking about movies, in my opinion. There can never be enough <laughs> from people that genuinely love them and yes. know them. Right? Yes, indeed. I mean, I know a lot of our really good friends have not. You know, they've not listened to every one of our episodes. So, I mean, they just, but we're always there. If you ever need yep. us, we're always there. <laughs> That's right. That's so right. anyway, uh, have a good time. Have a good week. Will, you have a good week. And uh, well, friend. we'll see you on the other side. I will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. 